This is Iron Mike Stedman. And as always, I want to thank you for listening to my show, Dog Whistle Branded. Today on DWB, I sit down with Don Fall, CEO of Athos, a next generation sports performance technology company that supports professional and collegiate sports teams, as well as the Department of Defense. Don's also an operating partner at Unusual Ventures, a seed stage venture capital firm offering hands-on support and expertise to startups on their early stage journey. Don is a former Marine infantry officer turned tech entrepreneur with vast experience in Silicon Valley, including Google, Facebook, and Pinterest before leading his own startup, Athos. After learning he was a member of the Unusual Ventures team, which publishes an amazing go-to-market field guide for early stage founders, I knew I had to get him on the show to talk about the go-to-market journey for venture-backed startups, including positioning a product, acquiring users, and what it takes to achieve exponential growth. Don is the real deal. So if you're in the midst of launching a startup or planning to in the future, this is an episode you don't want to miss. Before we jump into the show, I need to make a quick announcement about my upcoming book, Black Veteran Entrepreneur. Validate your business model, build your brand, and step into your greatness. Pre-orders for my book are available via Indiegogo for the next 18 days or so, which include various different perks, such as access to my author community of beta readers and tickets to my launch event. As listeners of the show, I truly appreciate it if you will support my pre-order campaign at the link in the show notes. Whether you're a black veteran or not, there's value for you in the book as I share everything I've learned to successfully launch a business. All right, enough of me talking. Gunny, get them ready. Yo! Saddle up, lock and load. Welcome to Dog Whistle Branding, brought to you by the team at Ironbound Media and the Lions Pride, where we provide weekly tech planning on marketing, brand strategy, and category design for early and growth stage veteran-owned small businesses to keep you in the fight and not face down in a rice paddy. I'm your host, Iron Mike Stedman, a Marine Corps veteran, godfather of Dog Whistle Branding, and CEO of Ironbound Media, a podcast production agency that helps veteran-owned businesses create, distribute, and grow branded podcasts in order to engage with your ideal audience. Before we jump into the show, make sure you subscribe to our newsletter at the link in the show notes or visit our website, dogwhistlebranding.com to stay up to date on all things DWB and our work at Ironbound Media and the Lions Pride. All right, get out your pen and paper and get ready to build a dog whistle brand. Saddle up, lock and load. Don, welcome to Dog Whistle Brandon, man. So glad to have you here. Hey, thanks so much, Mike. I'm excited to be here. Appreciate it. So uh, I met Don back in 2017 when I was a bright-eyed, you know, fresh entrepreneur, hadn't got beat up yet, you know, and I was going through Stanford Ignite. Um, it was a four-week accelerator program put on by Stanford University, and I was part of the post-9-11 veterans. So there was like a cohort of 27 of us and they had guest speakers come in and talk to us. And honestly, at that time, I don't think I had met, you know, Naval Academy grads in startup space. Cause you know, at the <laughs> Academy, all we know are people that are Navy SEALs or Marines, or they're not even really focusing on the civilian world. And then you transition out. And next thing you know, it's like this whole world of possibilities. So then we're out there at Stanford and there's a Naval Academy grad, a Marine infantry officer, just like me. Um, and then you're there talking to us about your experience going to Stanford and then working in tech startups and actually uh, Google, Pinterest 
And then you were launching your own startup, uh, Athos. And what I find ironic is me and you have been fighting the same fight for a minute now. So I was like, man, you've been at Athos a minute. And I'm like, I've been with Ironbound Boxing a minute. So we came full circle at the Military Vet Startup Conference, which was phenomenal by Context Ventures. Really looking mm. forward to next year. And uh, it was a great opportunity to pull you off stage and chop it up and say, hey, man, I would love to get you on the podcast. And when I found out you were Unusual Ventures, I was like, man, I've been reading their go-to-market uh, field guide, the Unusual Ventures field guide. So just so much overlap, man. I know you're going to bring a ton of value to our audience today. Well, I'm uh, like I said, I'm really excited to be here. Um, I think you and I have been through different contexts, but both have been through the uh, post-active duty entrepreneurial journey. Um, you know, I started my career when I got out of the Marines in, in slightly later stage, uh, you know, tech companies. I thought they were startups. And then I got to Athos, and, and, uh, which was earlier. And I, I really got to learn firsthand what it, what, uh, it meant to be at a startup. And uh, incredible experience. Excited to spend some time talking to you about it today. Yeah. Building something from scratch is like making sausage every day. You know, So people take for granted when that infrastructure is there versus building everything from the ground up. And I'll tell you, um, first, I would love you just take a moment and just really briefly introduce yourself to our listeners. And then I want to talk about, you know, the difference between going to market as a small business owner, how we think about marketing and branding versus like product positioning for startups. Mm -hmm. Sure. Yeah. So, so uh, quick background on me. Um, uh, I think you and I share some roots. I grew up in Jersey, a um, uh, little town outside New York City, Bergen County, um, uh, Naval Academy, class of 98 for me. Uh, I went into the Marines uh, and spent six years uh, on active duty in the infantry and then did my last tour with uh, First Force Reconnaissance Company. Uh, got off active duty in 2004 uh, after getting back from overseas. Uh, I was excited for kind of the next you know stage and phase of my career, but honestly, had absolutely no idea what that would be. Um, uh, I, I, I didn't have a background in technology per se. Uh, I didn't know anything outside the military. And so I was lucky enough to kind of stumble my way into grad school, came up here to the Bay Area uh, and got my first internship at Google. Um, was really lucky uh, to get introduced uh, by another veteran, another Naval Academy grad actually introduced me to someone at Google, translated my resume for the recruiter, that led to an internship, which which was just a, a phenomenal experience for me. Ended up going back there full time, spent about two years at Google working on the business side of the company, really working with small, medium sized businesses who are using Google's products. Uh, after a couple of years at Google, went to Facebook, uh, had a chance to join there in 2008, pretty early in the company's growth and got a chance to build out. Uh, what we called online operations there. Uh, again, team that worked with Facebook, small, medium-sized customers. So uh, everything from user support, content moderation, uh, to working early on with small, medium-sized businesses who are using Facebook's tools, uh, pages, the ad product, uh, and uh, also got a chance to work with uh, the developer community uh, on, on early Facebook platform efforts. Left there in, uh, in 2012 to go to Pinterest, um, joined Pinterest at about 35, 40 employees. Growth had just taken off uh, and the organization and business was really starting to scale. Uh, had a chance to kind of manage a bunch of different business functions there. Uh, great experience. Spent three years there. Whole new set of learnings for me. Really fun, enjoyable environment. Uh, and then left Pinterest in 2015 and 
took some time to kind of think about what I wanted to do next and, and found Athos. Uh, Athos was a sports performance technology company. Uh, I had been really interested in, uh, in sports, human performance, uh, technology uh, for a long time. And kind of the intersection of these two areas, human performance and technology was of interest to me. Met two amazing founders who had built this really, really compelling uh, product and got really excited about the possibilities. So I joined Athos, uh, spent about six and a half years there. Incredible experience, uh, as I mentioned, really true startup journey. A lot of wins, a lot of misses and failures, to be totally honest, which I think is probably the hallmark of every startup experience. Uh, and recently, just over the last three or four months, kind of wrapped up the Athos journey. Uh, and I'm transitioning into my next phase now. So I'm spending some time at Unusual Ventures, working with early stage companies, and then doing some work with a really good friend of mine from uh, Naval Academy in the military on democracy reform as well. Love it, man. And I know quite a bit of, of veterans that are working on the, you know, politics aspect, you know, of like, because it's part of the American experiences, right? It's like, how do we create more, you know, equitable elections? How do we create more, you know, software to support, you know, this amazing economy and an amazing country. And so I'm not surprised to see you in that space. And now on the unusual ventures front, unusual ventures, if I'm not mistaken, is is it a venture studio, essentially? Uh, so it's it's actually a, a, a it, it's a little bit of a non-traditional early stage venture fund. And so we do um, on the investment side, uh, we invest in pre-seed, seed, series A businesses, technology across Infrastructure, uh, we invest on the consumer and application side as well. I'd say that the the unconventional side of what we do is a, a really meaningful investment in support for our founders and portfolio companies. And there's a little bit of a, a kind of backdrop and context for that. So um, we have two founders that are unusual, um, uh, John Vrionis and, and Jody Bonsall. Um, uh, John has been an investor for about 15 years, um, invested at Lightspeed before this. Jody was actually one of the, the entrepreneurs that John invested in. Um, Jody went on to, to he founded App Dynamics, which ended up getting found, uh, sold to Cisco. Um, and they got to know each other really early in the entrepreneurial journey and had this kind of shared insight, which was for really truly early stage companies at the seed stage, uh, pre-seed, even Series A. Um, it's the phase of building a business where as an entrepreneur, you need the most support. It's this critical moment in really figuring out your product strategy, your go-to-market strategy, your value proposition. It's really when you're laying the foundation for so many critical parts of the business. It also happens to be the part of the business where you need the most support and there's the least support available. As an entrepreneur, you're often on your own to figure out um, all these really critical parts of building a business. And for first-time founders, it, it can be a real challenge. And so John and Jody, having lived through this together, thought, you know, if there's, a, there's an opportunity here to create a new type of early stage fund that not only makes investments, but also provides, goes over the top to provide a set of resources for entrepreneurs to help them get to product market fit, that first really critical milestone that's so important for, for every founding business. And so, um, you know, when I say we're unconventional, I'd say we're unconventional in the level of support and commitment that we make early stage. And that plays out in a couple of different ways. So you've experienced part of that. We have a field guide that represents a body of knowledge that we put together. So we have a team internally who works with seasoned operators who have built companies and built businesses to really deconstruct what are the critical elements 
uh, of your early uh, stage strategy that are really critical in getting to product market fit. So how to think about hiring, how to think about your go-to-market strategy, how to think about finding the right design partners, et cetera. The second thing that we do beyond those resources is we actually have a team here um, that will go do a tour of duty inside our core portfolio companies. So we'll hire folks. We have folks on our team here who have built a successful sales team um, at really successful enterprise software companies. Uh, They'll go work uh, within embedded within our portfolio companies for six to nine months. They'll take on a sales quota. They'll help that team achieve their early their early sales goals, and then often they'll help find the replacement, build up, build that that early stage team. And what we found is that for early stage companies, having a seasoned operator who can come in and take ownership for one of those critical functions is just indispensable in its value, and then hand it off. Uh, so that that team can can kind of take that capacity and capability moving forward. That the ability to have that market based feedback, or what I like to call business as a contact sport, from just sparring and fighting so much that you start to gain that pattern recognition, so you can see a lot of the pain points and the challenges that entrepreneurs are running against, and how others have overcome it. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And you you know, I think one of the truisms of entrepreneurship is. While obviously every business has its unique set of challenges, um, a unique offering that's trying to create, but there's so many of the fundamentals that are the same. There's so many of the things that you need to get right to build that really strong, stable foundation to build a great business and a great culture and a great team. And so what we're trying to do is do everything in our power and unusual to set our entrepreneurs up for success. So if we can help them build these strong fundamentals by pairing them with seasoned operators who have seen these challenges before, who have been in the fight, um, we can play a meaningful role in helping increase their probability of success. Between Athos and the entrepreneurs, you've probably advised other veterans, et cetera. How many entrepreneurs do you think you've worked with at this point? Oh, gosh, like kind of hard to put it on. And, and I'll uh, I'll be careful to caveat. I, I think there's a lot of uh, one of the things I really love doing is just casual conversations with folks. I I think back about my journey into technology and there were so many folks who very selflessly along the way were willing to grab 30 minutes with me, answer some questions, give me some advice. So, um, you know, I I have tried to kind of pay it forward, um, as you might say. So I've had the, the opportunity to meet, gosh, probably hundreds of folks who are either in career transition or starting a business or um, or at a critical moment in the evolution of their team where, um, you know, I get the opportunity to share a little bit of what I've learned, mostly the mistakes I've made, hopefully in service of helping them avoid those same mistakes. Um, but that's one of the parts of the job, honestly, that I love the most. You know, this is a, a, a people role and a people business helping other folks be successful. The reason I was asking, too, is uh, how crucial is product positioning and product marketing for early stage uh, startups? Yeah, I mean, really, really critical and important. You know, we when we think about uh, the work we do in Unusual and I go back to my time at Athos early on in my own entrepreneurial journey. You know, when you're starting a business, and I'll I'll bear with me, I'll use some of the the, the kind of technology lens that I I kind of look through and that I think about. That first critical milestone is all about getting the product market fit, 
right? When you start your business, that is the most important milestone that you want to get to. And it's about helping your customers understand, create an experience that delivers clear demonstrable value. And, and so you start to see the type of organic growth and adoption. And that's not just about pixels and code and building a software experience. It's about uh, how you position the product. It's about how intuitive the product is to use. It's about how you educate and how you market your offering and service so that your customers understand the problem you're solving, the, the job that your product does, and how that helps them with whatever individual problem you're helping them solve. And so that positioning, getting that right, having an early thesis, having a tight feedback loop so you can understand what's working and what's not um, can be the difference. And I've seen many cases where there are companies that have had a great product. The technology itself was compelling, but the way that they were positioning it, the way that they were marketing it wasn't quite there yet. So I'm actually reading uh, Emily Hayward's book, Obsessed, Building a Brand People Love from Day One. And one of the interesting things I found out about them was I'm a brand guy, so I understand how important it is to show up to the world with your story, with your core values. You can always grow into them, but having a reason why you're showing up to the world. But one of the things I found out about Red Antler, the branding agency she runs, is that they start branding companies in stealth mode early on, right? So sometimes they'll come on the back of a venture investment and really start leaning into uh, the brand aspect as a way to differentiate it from the market. And so it's interesting to me because on like the lean startup methodology, you know, part of it is like you don't know what you don't know. So you don't want to spend all this time up front investing in brand and everything. And then you have a completely different, perfect customer. But at the same time, I understand it's like if you don't have a brand, how are you showing up to the world? And so I feel like now in this age where there's just so many startups getting launched, so many small businesses getting launched, your branding and your positioning is that kind of moat around your business that's going to allow you to differentiate yourself. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. And, you know, my experience, I, I, I'd actually call out, you know, I think my experience at Pinterest is one where, you know, Ben and Evan, our founders there, they not only built a, a really incredible product, but they were incredibly thoughtful about the brand and the relationship that we have with customers. And when you think about building a really sustainable business, it all comes down to the relationship that you can establish with your customers. And if you're lucky, you can build something. You know, if you're in the technology space, you can build a software experience that delivers real value that's sticky. Um, and that in and of itself can create real loyalty and real sustainable differentiation. On top of that, if you can also build an, an emotional connection with your customer, if you can build that trust and that relationship, that promise that you're making, and that in my mind is effectively in some respects what a brand is, this, this promise or commitment you're making to your customers that represents who you are and what you stand for. If you can build a great product and a great brand, wow. I mean, look at Apple, probably, you know, arguably one of the most successful businesses of all time. Yes, they build great products, but they also have a world-class brand that in and of itself is extraordinarily valuable. So I think it's really smart early on for founders and entrepreneurs to really start thinking about what do we stand for? What is the promise or commitment we want to make to our customers? And yes, I actually think the lean startup model and an early uh, anchoring around your brand can be incredibly complementary. Right. So you can be crystal clear about the about the, the relationship you want to have and the principles you stand for. 
and your ultimate vision for, for what you want to deliver to your customers, while also recognizing that the specifics of the product or the offering of the service and how you deliver on that brand promise will need to iterate and change. So I think having that real conviction and being really dogmatic about the brand and what you stand for is important, but being very open and very flexible and very iterative about how you get there, that to me is a real winning strategy. Yeah, I like to have a positioning thesis. So this is an understanding of how we're positioning ourselves in the market, how we're showing up. And then you go to market with that lean startup, and then you start to get that feedback loop and you can refine it, you can refine it. Now, one of the things that was interesting to me from a small business perspective versus tech startup was I'm advising an entrepreneur named Carla Bonds who runs Upskill VR. And she's essentially helping doctor's offices and dentists, you know, upskill their staff, train them remotely using virtual reality. And she got into a Google program, like $50,000, all that, et cetera. And I'm a big on category design, carving out your needs, position your product. But where I made a mistake was in the tech space, right? You might not necessarily create a category around your business, but you definitely want to create a category around your product early on. And so for a lot of companies, I realized like they start out, the company is that core product. You know, you think about like Stripe back in the day. Now they've evolved to box. And mm -hmm. so for me, that was something that I didn't know now that I'm more aware of. Well, you know, first of all, hats off for, for kind of acknowledging, I think one of the hallmarks when we talk to, when I talk to either folks who I'm looking to hire and join the team or, you know, thinking about investing in entrepreneurs, um, that humility and recognizing and being willing to acknowledge um, um, those key learnings is, is incredibly important and I think foundational to any successful entrepreneur. You know, to your point, I, I think your um, the point you make, I, I think, is a really important one in that when we think about an unusual and we look at businesses and um, those that we're excited to make bets on, there are kind of two dimensions that we look for as we think about the initial go to market, but also long term vision. So given the dynamics of how we invest generally in the venture model, you're looking for businesses that can be really big and really meaningful that play in at a minimum multi multi-billion dollar markets. So there's a question initially, hey, does the opportunity here, does the market in which this company plays um, have the capacity to scale to those types of numbers? And is there a vision and story here? So yes, it's early. It's the very early days. But is there a path that I can take a bet on that I believe in where they can own enough of this category to take a meaningful part of that big market? That's, you know, critically important. At the same time, we know it takes time to get there and, and, you, and you can't own a category out of the gate. You got to get your early traction. You got to get your early beachhead with a very focused product on a very focused set of customers with a very specific set of needs. And so what we look for with a lot of the companies we talk to is both, is there a path to building a really big, meaningful business in a really big market? And is there a starting point that is incredibly focused with a with an initial product and initial thesis where we believe they can win? And then is there a path to get from one to the other? And so I think what you articulated aligns really well with that, that kind of model, which, yes, you need to think long term about the category, but in the very short term, you have to be very, very focused with your initial set of customers, your initial value proposition and kind of the traction you can establish. Now, as somebody that's been in the Silicon Valley area as a veteran, on the outside looking in, 
right? I won't say I'm an outside looking in, but for the business school grads, et cetera, <laughs> right? I've noticed that veterans can get operational roles. We can get uh, people and talent, et cetera. You, a lot of them really struggle with the product marketing, you know, and the PM roles. And I think part of that is because it requires a different level of skill. I mean, you're encompassing story. You're encompassing that kind of market-based feedback. You're, you got to bring a certain level of creativity to it. And again, yep. this is why I'm seeing the gap in terms of branding, because, you know, so many of us try to force things on the market instead of adapting and telling a story and creating this really tight narrative that says, hey, we're for you instead of just like you said, features. We're going to focus on all these different features in the tech, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, I, absolutely. I, I think, you know, in my my experience is is somewhat similar when I think about um, you know, the time that I've spent out here and the exposure I've had to veterans, um, predominantly, I'd say the vast majority end up in uh, operational sales type roles. Um, now, I will say um, there have been really successful veterans uh, entrepreneurs who have started company, who have started technical companies. Um, there are successful product leaders, engineering leaders. You name the function, there is a, a veteran who's been successful there. However, um, to your point, I think predominantly most folks end up going into operations and sales. And I think to some degree, um, I think there's a kind of a logical reason for that. When you think about the skill set that we bring as veterans, where we've got something to build on, um, a lot of it kind of lies in um, building and leading teams, um, uh, execution, follow through. I think a set of skills that predispose us to having a very early impact in um, functional roles that require people management and leadership and execution and follow through, et cetera. Um, I do think to your point, I think one of the, the things <clears throat> that I think a lot of veterans have to learn, and I, I put myself at the top of this list that I had to go through in my career was really learning how to create, um, a strategy, um, in, in a, uh, a, a, a greenfield dynamic environment. I, I'd say to overcharacterize, I think I was, I was pretty decent early on at being able to execute a strategy or optimize the strategy. So, Hey, here's the overall game plan. I'll execute the hell out of it. I'll work really hard. I'll make mistakes, but I'll recover quickly in a world in which the strategy hadn't been formed yet, or the strategy was dynamic. Hey, how should we think about positioning this product or how do we think about our go-to-market strategy? That was not a world that I was as comfortable in where there were a new set of skills that I had to learn uh, and a new set of fundamentals um, that I had to build early on. And so I think for a lot of veterans, and I'd say this for anyone you know, who's getting into a new field, recognizing the, the new set of skills you need to learn, creating the time. Um, to invest in that and then surrounding yourself with a set of advisors, mentors who can help fill in those gaps, as well as building out a team that can bring the expertise that you may not necessarily have, I think is really important. Now, you've been volunteering your time as part of the Veterans and Venture Coalition with Tim Shea and the rest of the team at Contacts Ventures and some other VC, veteran friendly VC firms around here. And so when you're sitting on these calls, are you do you think that the founders are cognizant of how they're positioning these products in the market. 
So I'd say, and, and I'll overgeneralize here, um, let's assume most of the folks who I'm meeting with are first-time founders, because I think there is a, a pretty big difference if someone has been through it before and has seen, seen it before. For most first-time founders and entrepreneurs, they don't even know what positioning means. Um, you know, you can break it down and explain it, but they've not necessarily heard the language and, and the kind of fundamentals. And so, um, you know, look, I, I love spending time with and investing in, in veteran entrepreneurs because of um, everything I know about their leadership and their commitment and their follow through and their ability to kind of build great teams, their ability to persevere, things that are indispensable when you're thinking about building a business. There are also a bunch of areas where, you know, with first time founders, particularly veterans, where there are these areas, functional areas where they just don't have context and experience. So thinking about, hey, how are you positioning your product? How do you think about your brand? What's the initial customer segment you're going to focus on? How do you think about go to market strategy? When I was getting off active duty, I didn't know what the heck any of that meant. All of that was Greek to me. And so that didn't mean I couldn't learn it. Like they make sense logically, but but there's a recognition I think for, and look, every first time entrepreneur is going to bring a set of things, hopefully they're world-class in, and then they're going to have a very long list of things they're not world-class in. So if you flip the table and take, go from a veteran entrepreneur to a more traditional technical Silicon Valley engineer or product entrepreneur, they're going to bring a level of, of product and technical expertise, but also the whole business side of the equation, the leadership and team building is probably going to be new for them as well. And so I think one of the most critical things that we look for in early teams is what level of world-class expertise do they bring to the table? And then do they have a recognition of where they need to grow and where they need to build and round out the team um, uh, to complement their existing skill set? What do we say? Know thyself and seek self-improvement in the Marines, identifying those gaps. But again, this is why you do the Veterans and Venture Coalition. This is why we do the podcast, because now, you know, we have the ability to create content and host meetings remotely that you probably weren't able to do in like 1995, you know, or uh, not 95. Was it 2004? Or even 2010. Yeah. yeah or when, 2000. I, when I got back to duty, there was no Zoom. Trust me. We didn't even have LinkedIn back then. You can believe it. So when we're at the conference and this comes up over and over and over, how do I build brand awareness? And for mm -hmm. me, when people say brand awareness, I think it's a combination of how do they get people to know, like, and trust them. But also it's like, how do they go to market? How do they get some scores up on the board? All yeah. right. So you're advising early stage veteran founder. Okay. We work with them. We get their product position, et cetera. As you start looking for like, okay, this is what we're focusing on in terms of going to market. What are you encouraging them to do? Because you see people that are like, we need to write a blog. Well, how's a blog helping with go to market? You know, yeah. we need to shoot some videos, right? I'm a, I'm a fan of talking to people, you know? And uh, Ian Falu, shout out to Ian Falu from Clear Mix, West Point grad. That guy sells, you know? He's out there talking to people. He sells. But I don't see a lot of us, It, it like you say, early stage founders, we don't realize that. We think there's this like, magic cheat code, but that's even just small business. For tech startups, you've got to grow at an astronomical rate. And yeah. so what are the power moves that you're encouraging founders to do to achieve that growth early on? Yeah. So, so a couple things I would say, um, and, and, and the, these will likely sound very obvious, so bear with me. First, um, 
um, the best growth, like the best brand building is done by passionate, enthusiastic customers. Um, and so, so when you look at companies that historically have had the most astronomical growth, every single one of them has had some sort of viral growth as a core part of, um, of what has driven, um, their success. And now you can complement and should think about complementing that with paid media, with, with kind of, um, very specific, deliberate efforts to build your brand. Um, but you have to start with. Um, creating the conditions under which, so creating that magic, getting the product market fit so that your customers are building your brand for you. So that's the alchemy, as I'd say. How do you do that? And so there's a couple things that I, I would look at. And then, by the way, the I'll, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll put in another plug for the unusual field guide. This is meant to be our kit of, of how you get to product market fit. It's not black magic. There are a set of things that you can invest in very deliberately to set and create the conditions so that you start to see that alchemy and you start to see the organic growth. So a couple things. One, be really clear and really focused on who your customer is, who your starting customer is. Make sure you really, really deeply understand them. Um, one of the most common things that and a mistake that I made at Athos and one of the com- most common things I see when I talk to customers is they want to serve everyone out of the gate. They want to go extraordinarily broad. And when you start, if you go extraordinarily broad and you try to serve everyone, you don't serve anyone extremely well, especially when you're started. So really get crystal clear on who your customer is, the problems that you're going to solve, um, how they think about the world, what they care about, et cetera. Know your customer inside and out. The better you understand them and know them, the better you can serve them. Two, um, your product is the best way to build your brand. So you have a, a commitment you're making to your customer, maybe as expressed through your brand. Your product is going to be the means by which you you um, uh, kind of build the foundation for that relationship. So you can't overinvest in making sure that your product is really, really world class. And if you understand your customer well and you build an exceptional product, that's when you'll start to see that organic growth really, really take off. Um Next, I would say when you're thinking early on about, so it's easier said than done to build a great product. Um, one of the bridges that we've seen can be really helpful is when you're early on starting to build up your product and refine it and iterate on it. Look, every successful company um, has taken this meandering road to get to ultimately product market fit. There is no world in which you sit in a room for a bunch of hours draw something up, ship it, and everything just takes off and works. It takes a lot of experimentation. It takes a lot of experiments, um, learning what works and what doesn't. And one of the best ways that you can do that is by, by as you identify your early set of customers, um, building a partnership with them so that you can very quickly iterate on the feedback that they share with you. In an enterprise world, so companies who sell to businesses, we'll talk about this as finding your early set of design partners. So, um, you know, companies or customers who represent your target demographic, who are willing and committed to work very closely with you, to share feedback, um, to experiment with the product. And really what they're helping you do is learn as rapidly as possible so you can get from zero to product market fit as quickly as you can. And so uh, there's a whole host of, of additional things. But I think if nothing else, being crystal clear on who your customer is, 
taking the time to really understand them. Are you talking to your customer? Are you asking them questions? Do you understand them at a deep level? Um, making sure that you understand that your most leveraged and efficient path to growth is an exceptional product and making sure you're investing significant time. And then last thing I would say is there is a time and place to spend money on marketing. But I had, a, I had a very good friend of mine who I used to work with at Facebook who'd say, you can't pay to grow a bad product. So one of the worst things you can do is start spending a lot of time on marketing when your core offering and core product isn't really strong. You're going to have dissatisfied customers. You're going to have churn. It's going to make it harder to grow in the future. So get that organic product experience really dialed in, really magical. And then the paid marketing is just fuel on the fire. It'll just accelerate that organic growth. My point of view is that more brands actually need brand strategy before they need marketing. And brand strategy, even just simply as what is that first touch point with a customer? What is that exit point with a customer? You know, that that whole experience. And I find myself a lot of times building out their customer activation cycle. So, you know, identify warm lead. What's the next step? Book demo. What's the next step? You know, and people aren't necessarily thinking through that. They're like, oh, we need to go, you know, post on social media to build brand awareness. And it's like, no, you need to build trust. And how do you build trust? By creating a badass experience with your product. 100%. 100%. And all the things you articulate, it's part of the product. Like it, it is how your customers are experiencing your offering. Offering. Make that magical. And think through, I love what you break down, Mike. You make it really tactical and very specific. Let's make sure we are going through every single element of the customer journey and view it through our customers' eyes. Is it dialed in? Is this something we are extraordinarily proud of? If you focus on that, the results are tenfold any money you're going to spend downstream on, on paid marketing. You referenced something early on about, you know, activating your buyers, your customers, right? The people that become brand evangelists. And what I noticed around 2020, maybe even just before the pandemic, was the emergence of these community building strategists, right? There was a company I was falling out of Silicon Valley called People and Company. Um, I think one of them, the, the founders was actually with uh, Pinterest back in the day. Um, and then she started going around helping these brands activate their, their uh, user base. And they got acquired by Substack. And so now what you're seeing is more and more of community building as an actual like go-to-market strategy for venture-backed startups. I love it. it it's uh, it, not only is it a, I think community is so powerful and you'll see <laughs> pump the field guide again. It's another area that we have experts on our team who focus on because the, the benefits of building a really strong, vibrant community are multifold. It can be, to your point, it can be a great growth lever. Um, two, it actually enhances the product experience. Like if you look at some of these really successful businesses, people are not only coming there for the product, they're coming there for community that they feel like they're a part of. And if, if, if you can get your product and your experience, your business to a point where people associate your product and experience as a part of their identity, wow, that's incredibly powerful. And then you've got this community that can also help you with um, along the way they feel ownership for, they feel part of something bigger. So when you think about that rapid iteration cycle and learning to improve your product, you've got these partners, um, members of your community who have a vested interest in working together to help you win. That's really, really powerful. So 
we've talked about a lot of different topics here, mainly focused on product and positioning. We've talked about go-to-market and also the importance of community. Is there anything else you think our listeners could benefit from? Any lessons you've learned being a seasoned uh, entrepreneur, Silicon Valley veteran, you know, that might be something that they need to spend some time, you know, refining or, or, or thinking about. Yeah. I like it. Well, the, I, every time I hear season, Mike, that makes me think of old, that's how it's, uh, it, and it, uh, uh, how I hear it. Um, I, um, yeah, I guess the one thing, and this will be a relatively obvious point, but, um, I think there's a little bit of a risk when you're building a business and, and you're, you know, building a business is hard. It's time consuming. There are so many problems that you have to solve and things you have to figure out. I think it can be really easy to get too caught up or only myopically focused on the X's and the O's, on the strategy, on the tactics, on the, um, hey, how do we map out our roadmap and our path to here from there? And fundamental to everything you're doing uh, in building any sort of successful business product community is people. As an entrepreneur, there is there are no more important decisions you will ever make than the people who you surround yourself with. It's a lesson we learned on active duty, you know, from from day one. And so, if you get the team right, if you get the people right, if you invest in people who share your vision, who share your principles. Um, who have the, uh, a level of humility, who are eager to, to experiment and learn quickly, who care about each other. That is a, a just a massive force multiplier. And, and say, I, I think, um, I would not underestimate how critical that is. You can have the best strategy in the world. If you don't have the right team behind it to execute well, to come together through times of adversity, which by the, by the way, Every startup has periods of adversity, every single one. If you haven't built that culture and built that team, all the strategy is for naught. So spend the time on the X's and O's. Make sure you've got the right talent around the table to really understand how you build your strategy, um, how you build your product. But don't overlook uh, how critical getting the right team around the table is as well. That's real. You know, I had uh, my marketing person, right? She ended up burning herself and had to go to the hospital. Right. And we had some recorders and stuff for going. Don't worry about it. We got it. You're good. But mm-hmm. you do feel that pressure like, oh, man, we got to put out another fire. But it's this idea of like, man, these people are the most important asset you have. And when times get rough, right, you want them to be able to go to bat for you, not feel obligated to do so. They want to be part of the vision and the mission and feel committed. And I do think in this hustle, hustle, hustle culture, sometimes people forget that. I couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree more. So before I let you go, as we start thinking about this military veteran startup community, you know, Mm -hmm. how does it feel to kind of have this now? You know, I saw you guys uh, hanging out at the diner afterwards. You know, is this is this you didn't have this when you first transitioned out, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. You know, I was, you know, for better or worse, I was in the very early first wave of post 9-11 vets. So, you know, I, I'd gotten back from overseas, as I mentioned, I started Google in 2005. I was really the first kind of cohort. And, you know, I remember when I showed up to Google summer of 2005, Google was probably about 3000 employees, give or take. I remember I met, there were two veterans I knew at the entire company. Um, and I didn't know, by the way, other than the folks who I had gone to grad school with, the vets I had gone to, I didn't know anyone else in Silicon Valley. There were no, 
there were no veterans hiring programs. There were no organizations helping with transitions. Um, I got the call at Google. Anytime they were looking at a veteran, they'd call me or this one other person because they were the only ones, we were the only ones they knew who could translate it. And um, there was no focus on veteran entrepreneurship. Like I, I, I didn't hear anything about that. Fast forward now, you know, 15 years and gosh, things have changed a ton. You know, you have um, all of, you know, the vast majority of these big companies are explicitly recruiting for veterans because they recognize it's so clear the value that exists in seasoned, experienced leadership who can manage teams through adversity. Um, you have a whole crop of, of successful veteran entrepreneurs. You have veterans in, in venture capital investors who understand we have funds, venture funds that are explicitly focused on veteran entrepreneurs because they're making a bet on leadership. And um, look, I think it's it's one of those scenarios where um, it's just a win on all sides. And that's what's really kind of neat, cool to see. It's great for these companies in being able to tap into this pool of talent that can bring a skill set that is so badly needed. Um, it's great for the investing community because you have now a, you know, when we talk an unusual, we want to make sure we have a shot of seeing every single great opportunity. So if we are missing out on opportunities because they're a subset of the entrepreneurial community we don't touch or doesn't think about unusual being um, a relevant firm, we're missing out. And so having now investors who understand the community, who understand veterans, who are plugged in is goodness for the investing community. We're, we're already seeing incredible businesses being built by veteran entrepreneurs. And now there's this really, you know, I think it's the nature of our community where you have this incredible self-reinforcing real commitment to pay it forward and support each other. So we all wear the, you know, veteran hat first uh, on top of everything else. So um, there is no competitive dynamics. Everyone just wants everyone else to win and be successful. And that's a really amazing community to, to, to be a part of. Absolutely, man. I appreciate you so much for making time. You know, it's great to be able to have these kind of resources that we can leverage now, get this information out at scale. Um, you've been there, you've done that, and you're still advising, man. And uh, we appreciate you. So for all our listeners that's tuning in, how can we support and elevate you on this next phase of your own personal hey, journey? Keep paying it forward. You know, I would say like in the same way, like I was I was really blessed to have gotten a favor some from some folks that are really important time in my career. Um, and, and that made all the difference for me. And so every time I talk to other folks in our community, I just say the same thing. You know, we flourish, this community flourishes because we care about each other and we're willing to help each other. So pay it forward. Uh, and for all our uh, listeners tuning in, do me a favor, go ahead and make sure you subscribe to Dog Whistle Brandon's newsletter at the link in the show notes. And feel free to shoot me a message on LinkedIn at Iron Mike Stedman. Be sure to also show Don some love. Hey, his time's worth a million dollars a minute, y'all. And he just gave <laughs> us 40 of it. So uh, you ain't getting a hold of him. You got to find <laughs> I'm not giving up my plug. But in all seriousness, Don, it's been great. And uh, have a great rest of your week, everyone. Dog Whistle Branding is brought to you by the team at Ironbound Media, where we help veteran business leaders create, distribute, and grow branded podcast series in order to engage with their ideal audience. We believe that audio is the future of publishing, and we're committed to leading the movement for the veteran entrepreneurial community. You can learn more by visiting our website, ironboundmedia.com. 
This series is also powered by the Lions Pride, a professional training and coaching company for badass founders that serves mission-driven, high-performing small business owners with at-the-ready resources, battle-tested tools, and full-service support. We're proud to support veterans and other badass business owners at every stage of growth. You can learn more and get more at thelionspride.com.